Today, we are all about the comic book movie experience. Has the comic book film experience peaked? If so, when did it peak? Was it was it Avengers Endgame? Was it Dark Knight? How, how far back does it go? Can, can these movies get better? Can we punch through to an all new age of comic book filmmaking? I think we can. I'm going to share with you my absolute favorite comic book films. Some of them, frankly, they're going to surprise you. You don't, you don't know what I'm going to share with you. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We are going to come forth with solutions. We're going to bring solutions to the table. We are all about getting to the solution side of this and entering an all new age of comic book filmmaking and comic book movie experiences. Because that's what we want. That's all we want today on an all new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Rob Observations. Rob Observations is the place where I share with you my journey with comic books since I was just a wee lad of seven years old growing up 1974, pulling comic books off spinner racks at all various locations in Anaheim, California, famously the four corners of of Magnolia and Broadway. Magnolia and Broadway is where the 7-Eleven faced the liquor store, Kitty Corner, to the grocery store across the street. And then finally, the Pizza Hut was was the fourth corner. And the Pizza Hut didn't have comic books. But after I got the comic books, especially on a Saturday afternoon at the 7-Eleven and the liquor store and the grocery store, I would go enjoy them with a small pizza at the Pizza Hut or that night with my family. And I'd be pouring over comics. And I can see those comics in my head, that the X-Men, the Marvel team-ups, the Marvel two-in-ones. DC Comics Presents, which was a, a, a team-up book from 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 DC, which featured Superman always teaming up with all the other crazy great, you know, DC comic superheroes. Those are are like my my education of comic books. That those places represent like where I fell in love, where my passion was ignited. And since seven years old, since since 1974. Comics showed me the way. They showed me the path. They showed me a, a journey, a path to my vocation where I have made comic books for 37 years. I have written them, produced them, created them. You might have heard of Deadpool or Cable or Domino or X-Force. Uh, Image Comics, the third largest comic book company, is a company that I helped launch. Youngblood was the very first comic book that that company published. It was the launch book for Image Comic Books. I have been around this business. I have been in this business. I have seen it from every possible angle. Publishing, uh, creating, writing, illustrating, coloring, painting, printing. Yes, I've been to the printer. I've watched those uh, comic books come off the press and said, hey, the, the levels on the ink needs need, need to change. This is too dark or this is too light because because of my formative, my teenage years, my, my after-school job was working at a print shop. So I was able to bring that into the world of comic books. Having collected comic books since 1974, since, since the age of seven years old, I have seen comic books change the world. Now they are a giant massive sometimes overbearing industry that 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 the entire population is is paying attention to pop culture is now dominated with the comic book superheroes that i grew up with the comic book superheroes that no one had ever heard of i was buying buying monthly a book called prince namor the submariner prince namor the submariner is about to make his cinematic screen debut in wakanda forever here in just a couple weeks being part of the giant uh, Black Panther sequel. But Prince Namor, Submariner, was on the cover of the first comic book that I ever encountered that I traded with my barber 
uh, the, the, the barber named Fred. Long may he rest in peace for, for, for all of the good haircuts that he gave everybody, but mostly for that epic comic book trade. He, he allowed me to, to share with him my Richie Rich and my Casper the Friendly Ghost comics and, and give those to him in a trade straight up for his Fantastic Four 147, which featured Prince Namor flying out of the ocean about to battle the Fantastic Four, and it gripped my my entire imagination. It had my entire attention, and he was able to let me take that home with me and pour over those pages, and I did. And eventually, yes, did I go to the liquor store? When, when I say liquor store, I mean the liquor store. I mean, it was chock full of wine, tequila, beer, and the people who own it, they knew it. They'd see little Robbie Liefeld walking in on his, on his skateboard, and I'd go past all of the various international alcohols to the spinner rack carefully positioned in the back of the store and i would sometimes sit there for 20 to 30 minutes pulling every single comic off the rack and these this store was not in the habit of returning those comics returning comics is what newsstand distribution was able to do when they didn't sell something so if it was june of 1974, I could look at comic books from March or February or January of, of 1974, sometimes books that were in, in 1973 because they didn't want to take the comics off the rack. These are not nice conditioned comics. If you're listening to this and you're like, life, what was that? What did that look like? It looked like, I mean, they were bending over the, the, the metal spinner rack prongs they were over stuffed but but it was like going to the library for me and i could pick out different comics and i didn't care what condition they were in they weren't in good condition not one single comic book was in good condition any kid growing up in this area would tell you there was no bags there was no boards you know you didn't worry about the condition you just hope that when you got home your mom didn't throw them away or use them as a coaster for her pepsi okay that that's the kind of stress that me and my my generation was growing up uh, the, the comic book obsessed youth of the mid 1970s. Well, we have seen what has happened to the comic book industry. It's become the dominant force of the movie industry. The characters that I grew up loving are now the characters that you are getting with, with great regularity on the big giant silver screen, or you're getting them on your streaming platform. You go to HBO Max, you go, oh, hey, there's there's a new episode of, of, of Batman's Butler. It's, it's, it's Pennyworth. He has his own show. You got a Harley Quinn cartoon. You got multitudes of Superman movies, Justice League movies, Wonder Woman movies, and don't get me started, a, a gazillion Batman options, okay? Then you trot over to the Disney Channel, and there's all manner of MCU films, and there's all manner of Marvel cartoons. That's just the, that's just scratching the surface. Okay, this stuff is everywhere. This stuff is Amazon Prime has superheroes, Hulu has superheroes, everybody has superheroes because superheroes are now the predominant force. They are what bring the masses to the theaters and fill the seats with butts. They put butts in those seats. Now the modern, the modern movie blockbuster, the modern movie comic book blockbuster was forged in the 2000s with the launch of X-Men. Let's let's not fight. If you don't like the fact that I'm not giving that crown to Blade, then you can um, quietly pivot the podcast. I get it. I understand there are people who have who have come to believe that Blade in 1998 started some comic book revolution. It absolutely, most certainly did not. My friends produced it. My friend was an executive at New Line Cinema. They bought it as a vampire action thriller horror film. Uh, Wesley Snipes was creating another action hero character for his vast action hero portfolio because he was a big action star. He was a big action star 
in uh, in, in the 90s. And, and Blade, he, he has chronicled how he tried to get Black Panther, but the road led to Blade. Blade didn't even have his, his own comic. Blade did not have his own comic when they optioned it. Blade came from a comic book called The Tomb of Dracula, which was one of the classic, like, critically acclaimed horror series that Marvel did. But Blade was perfectly suited to action, but it was marketed and it was sold and it was received uh, as, as a horror film vampire movie, okay? And, and for years, Box Office Mojo and some of the movie sites didn't even list it as a comic book film. It was horror slash vampire thriller, okay? It had no after effects. It had no ripples. It didn't create a wave of films to follow. If we're going to give that notion to Blade and say, oh, it, it kicked everything off, then then how do you count for the fact that Batman and Robin, the, the, the Clooney, Alicia Silverstone edition of Batman, basically stopped development and production on every single comic book film at the time. I know this. I was out there trying to set comic book movies up and everyone like me, everyone in the independent comic book movie business and even maybe in the Marvel comic movie business got the brakes halted because they were like, Batman was the bellwether. It was the thing that they judged every other comic book movie success by. They were nowhere near, nowhere near. These executives were nowhere near as educated as as the the executives who are now making comic book movies when i go and get summoned by the guys at studio eight who ended up buying my comic book profit and making sure that the script kicked at kicked all sorts of ass and put me in the room with mark guggenheim and 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 watch mark guggenheim give us a screenplay that brought jake gyllenhaal and an excellent director sam hargrave i can tell you right now those executives are young guys who talk to me about growing up on the x-men animated series and the comic books that me and my peers you know were creating the executives in the 90s they they were older than I was, so they were growing up in the 60s. They did not have a modern uh, obsession with comic books the way that so many of us do and the way that so many of the executives now do. Kevin Feige loves comic books first, which is why he was able to make this decade epic run of, of comic book superhero films that we're going to discuss in just a minute. But the modern comp, comic book blockbuster started with X-Men in the summer of 2000. We've covered this. I've done dedicated podcasts on this. That was the number one selling comic book for three decades. Fox had the rights. They were finally going to go forward to it. Two summers ago, Hugh Jackman gave an interview to Entertainment Weekly. I think it's on EW.com. And he even says that his manager said, don't tell anybody you're in this movie. After it was wrapped, when he was going out for other movies. Don't tell anyone you're in this movie. Don't tell anyone you're in a comic book film. How can he be saying that after he wrapped production on it in 1999 slash early 2000? How can his agent be telling him that if, in fact, Blade kicked off some fantasy superhero revolution, which it did not. Does Blade deserve nods as a great movie? It's a great movie. I, I saw it opening night. I saw it twice that weekend. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic, but it did not create the wave. X-Men working the number one selling comic book, opening to a big number one box office gross and legging it out over over that summer is a big deal. That got people like, whoa, because it's a team concept and it scared Hollywood. There's There's 20 people. In this movie, that is super superpowers, twenty mutants, twenty special effects, and somehow, given that very cut to the bone budget that X Men in two thousand had, it made money. It it worked. It entertained us. Don't buy into the recency bias that these movies were not ridiculously successful. Big opening weekends, butts in the seats. Okay, Sony met Marvel with a check, twenty million dollars coming out of bankruptcy. 
in 2000. The, the rights to Superman had, had names like James Cameron, Canon Films attached. Multiple different parties said, we've all had some sort of bite at the apple with Spider-Man as a media property. A judge had to figure that out. He sorted it out. He gave it right back to Marvel. Marvel was met by Sony, who basically just cut everybody off in, in, in regards to the bidding and just said, here's $20 million up front. You're out of bankruptcy. $20 million in 2000 is is so much more bones than you think it is. It is, it is some big, big dollars. You think 20 million sounds big in 2022, in 2000, it's even bigger. Marvel was stunned. They signed with Sony and that is where Spider-Man has resided and I believe will continue to reside for many, many years to come. It would have to, it would take Disney buying Sony and I'm not sure they have the appetite for that given that, that, that they, they paid 70 billion just a couple of years back. 70 billion, yes, a B for the Fox studio assets, all of that library. So, when, when you think about what kickstarted the revolution, it was the summer of 2000. X-Men, then, the, then, then Sony grabbing Spider-Man, and then Spider-Man and X-Men were our big comic book movies that we got on and off. Boom, 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 back and forth, back and forth. 2000, 2002, 2003, 2004. They were dominating uh, the, the windows that they, were, that they were released in. Those Spider-Man movies were giant. They were huge, big, monster deals, much bigger budgets than the early X-Men films. X-Men 2... They, they, they clearly gave it a bigger budget. They spent more money. The, the, the performance of X-Men in the summer of 2000, you know, paved the way for, for a much slicker, better, bigger, even more entertaining version. X2 was a big, big deal. Billboards everywhere. Huge opening weekend. You guys, it, it even set the stage for, and I know no one likes to talk about it, and we're not going to talk about it here, but X3 opened, was, the, I think, the first comic book movie to open to... It was the biggest X-Men movie, opening at 103 million. X3 was the biggest X-Men movie in that early stage. So all of this set the stage for the MCU, okay? And in 2008, despite Wall Street and all of the financial misgivings, and, and, and you can check all of this out, I did a dedicated po- podcast called The Rise of the D-List, and I took the Wall Street Journal, and I took Barron's Financial Magazine, Forbes. I read from all of the articles that were going around in 2005, 2006, 2007, as Marvel was raising money to bring to you the MCU, the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, the, the Ed Norton Hulk, those 2008 launches, the official launch of their own you know, self-finance label. When they were raising the money, the town, the financial sectors, the financial markets, the people that control the money, they thought Marvel doesn't have anything good left. Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, X-Men are spoken for. They're at Fox and Sony primarily. And so Marvel, you know, had to convince people that that Thor and Iron Man and Captain America were worthwhile investors. I highly recommend you listen to The Rise of the D-List because it sets the stage for so much that is to follow because there was serious doubt that one of the markets, one of the financial papers recommended Marvel as a sell stock because this movie was deemed as so frowned upon as like, this isn't going to work. If you got Marvel stock, it's only going to go down. Like little did they know. And trust me, I took my kids eight and, and, and six, my two boys at the time to see Iron Man opening afternoon, that Thursday preview. And we were all like, what is going on? How is this instantly the very best Marvel film? Well, that set the course for the MCU and, and this incredible journey. And what we're here to talk about today, what, what, what we are here to discuss is possibly the, the next stage of Marvel 
the next stage of DC, the next stage of comic book films, period, in the face of what what is perceived by many, by you. You guys, if you're listening to this right now, um, the, 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 the ladies and gentlemen who listen to this podcast, you have had these conversations. You've walked out of the theater. You, you've compared everything that has come after Endgame. You have wondered about Marvel Phase 4 or whatever phase it is. You know, take me to the, you know, back, back, back of the, back of the classroom and, and, you know, and give me my demerits because I'm, I'm not certain of all the phases my head is spinning. All I know is that the movies come out and since 2019, with the exception of No Way Home, which we're going to talk about, and, and, and trust me, that's the last in, in a, in a year chock full of superhero comic book product. It's the last premiere that I went to. I, I am always very generous. They're very generous. They're very kind. They include old man Liefeld to go to all of these different openings. But I have I have stopped going to them because a I didn't want to feel obligated to say something nice just because I got an early screening. That is the primary motivation. But I felt like Spider Man No Way Home was such a great fun experience. I was with my daughter. All the secrets were were revealed in the first week of December, a couple weeks before it came to you even. And so I saw, I saw the, the, you know, all of the secrets and, 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 and good Lord, if you're, if you're listening to this, I I really do hope that that you did see Spider-Man No Way Home. There's no way possible that you don't, (laughs) that you don't know all the big reveals, but everything that we had anticipated happened. Okay. So, so if you haven't seen it, maybe just turn it off right now because I'm going to keep going. But in Spider-Man No Way Home, obviously, you know. You, you you got all of the Spider-Mans, you know, you know, you got you got uh Maguire and, and Garfield, you know, with Holland. And it was it was huge and it was big. It was the biggest superhero movie in in recent times. It challenged the the dominance that Endgame had at, at the box office. But Avengers Endgame in 2019 is seen by so many people as the culmination of this amazing journey that was started at the MCU. After they got their financing, they defied the odds. They made Iron Man, Iron Man 2. They got bought, bought by Disney. And then, then Disney was able to pump even more dollars marketing-wise, budget-wise, and increase the vis- visibility, increase the campaigns, increase the, 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 the relevance of these films to the point where they became bigger than anyone ever possibly imagined. But that Avengers Endgame, that finale, when you've got all the Avengers, the Guardians of the Galaxy, you've got all of the the, 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 the cool female heroes banding together for that incredible moment. You, you've, you've got, you know, Chris Evans picking up Thor's hammer uh, alongside his shield and going toe-to-toe with Thanos. It was the giant culmination of, of, of so many years. And since then... It is fair because you're doing it. You, you listening, you have done this. You have walked out of the theater or if you walked into the theater wondering, where's this going to place? We are obsessed with lists and placing things and, 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 and uh, evaluating everything on its quality. And did we enjoy this as much as this? And, you know, right after Endgame, you know, shortly after we hit this incredible pandemic, which slowed everything down, threatened our lives, you know, and, and, and then the after effect was it slowed production down on everything so that the phases were delayed. And eventually we got Black Widow. I saw an extended preview of Black Widow at D23 in September 2019, only a few months before the pandemic. And then it got bumped, obviously. And and we finally got to the release of Black Widow, which then was followed by the release of Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu, uh, uh, which was a comic book I, I grew up just absolutely adoring. and. Uh, Following that, we got the Eternals. Following that, we got Spider-Man: No Way Home. We've we've this this last summer the Doctor Doctor Strange sequel. The I guess it was the fourth Thor movie, Love and Thunder. 
lots of these movies have now been, you know, coming our way. The Robert Pattinson, the Batman movie. Uh, DC has been, obviously, has had skin in the game. They did the the Suicide Squad sequel, which I, I actually really enjoyed. But, you know, uh, it, it, it's the DC movies tend to be more divisive. I, I could spend six episodes uh, pondering why and, and still not completely understand. I don't believe that it's because of a cult. Okay, there's people like, oh, it's because of the Snyder cult, the Snyder Bros. That, that's not why. That is, that is not why. The, the, the DC movies just find themselves with a difficult task of trying to outperform Marvel, which has successfully, you know how hard it is to take the lead and keep the lead for 10 years? And that is exactly what Marvel has done. I've covered on previous podcasts, you know, how, how the summer of 2008 and then the summer of 2012 were the big game changers. The Iron Man, you know, the launch of the MCU, but then the Dark Knight came out and, and Christopher Nolan's, you know, epic sweeping production of his second Batman film just crushed everything in its path and became the new, you know, the new pace horse. Oh man, billions, billions for this one, billions, global dominance. Then in 2012, Avengers blew everybody away and the billions of dollars attached to Avengers, which no one saw coming, outclassed the final chapter of the Nolan trilogy, which still did billions, okay? It just didn't do as many billions as Avengers and forevermore, Marvel took the lead and was unchallenged. And and what we are here to discuss today is, has, have the, has the modern comic book movie, has the modern comic book movie in fact peaked and, and how do we get to the next level we can't just you know stall out and go well end game was was the end all be all it was the it was the you know the bright shining moment that everyone rallied around and 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 it doesn't get any better than that i i refuse to believe that you refuse to believe that and that's what we're here to do to, to do today we are going to uh to, to get to the solution side of things because i don't believe you do a podcast and you whine and, and you complain and you go oh it used to be better in my day no we're not here to do it used to be better in my day we're here to discuss how to move the modern comic book movie forward, how to, to, to go beyond the, the, the high marks set by, by Endgame and, and Infinity War and, and really punch through to another level of excellence that is waiting for all of us. And we're going to figure that out here today together. Maybe you're saying right now, hey, Rob, Endgame is not my favorite. It's not my pinnacle. It's not my you know, end-all, be-all. It's not where I think, you know, superhero comic book films for, for any label, for any company peaked. Okay, that's fine. You know, I, I, let, 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 let me be honest. Neither do I. I. I hear a lot of people express that. But, but you know, whatever your version of that is, mine is, it, I, I, you're not going to expect this maybe, or maybe I've shared it before and you already know, mine's Winter Soldier. Captain America Winter Soldier is my favorite of all the comic book films. I hold Iron Man, the first one, 2008, I hold that in very, very high regard. I think it is a perfect film. It, it, it was during the time where Marvel, because they were financing their own films, was running out of money at the third act. So all the third acts were very dark, hard to see, or less expansive than maybe the, the, the middle of the movie, which had a better fight, conflict, you know, set piece, whatever you want to call it. But, but Captain America Winter Soldier is my favorite of all the comic book films. It engaged me on multiple levels. It was as nuanced, uh, as smart, 
as layered as any of the Captain America films. It, it kept dealing with the aspect of Steve Rogers as a man out of place, out of time, adjusting to the world around him, not just not just the conditions of the world, but the technology of the world, the relationships, you know, the morality, the morality of, of someone that comes from World War II era 1940s to this to this bold new world. We're still walking through that world with him, even though we've only seen him in his own film and the Avengers. And now, you know, we're getting him in, in this Winter Soldier. And, and then you see like all of the conspiracies and, and, and the different organizations that are conspiring and he's put on the run and the entire movie you are as engaged with the decisions and, 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 and the, the, the mental and, and emotional complexity that he's going through as he has to move the pieces on the chessboard and outmaneuver, you know, his enemies who have more resources, more power, more abilities to to stop him and so so that is rife with conflict it's exciting the pace of the movie is great the action is great it's consequential the mystery surrounding bucky ricky you know uh, uh, i'm sorry uh, bucky barnes and uh and, and 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 his identity as winter soldier and the manipulations that he's been through so it, it it's got two major uh focal points two leading characters and it's very complex and it, and it draws us in and it moves at a pace that you are at the edge of your seat the entire time that is my personal favorite comic book movie now i've heard many people and we're going to dwell on this one a little because i i believe all of the secrets going forward lie in in this one movie but before i get to this one movie i'm going to tell you why why am i even discussing this today well as you know black adam which was i think i think it was delayed a little bit Due to, due to the pandemic, I mean, it was announced a long, long time ago. And, and, and in many ways, Black Adam was Dwayne Johnson's uh, Deadpool for Ryan Reynolds in, in that Ryan had tried to make Deadpool for many, 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 many years. And Dwayne Johnson was trying to make Black Adam for many, many, many years. And often actors pick roles that they see themselves in that they can look and go, I, I can see myself as this person. I don't think Dwayne The Rock Johnson ever looked at Aquaman and said, I'd be great as Arthur Curry. I'd be, I'd be the perfect Aquaman. I think when he saw Black Adam early in his career, he said, this guy looks like me. I could play this guy. What's this guy's story? I want to do this. And this is back 2005, 2006. So, I mean, we're talking, good God. I mean, we're talking somewhere 15, 16 years of him trying to get this movie made. Well, it finally opened up this past weekend. And at the bottom line, where it... um where it landed, where Black Adam landed, was as the ninth largest post-pandemic comic book movie. Now, I'm going to go and I'm going to read you actually in a second. After I do this, I'm going to share with you some of the openings when when this list was, was broken down in 2014. So let's get some perspective here. We're all about perspective. And I'm not here for spin. I'm so tired of spin. Have I spun myself? Of course I have. I know how to spin. Everyone spins now. Everyone, it, it, there's different levels of spinning. Everyone's spinning. So many records, so much music. The biggest openings post-pandemic. Really the first comic movie post-pandemic, as we all remember, coming out of the giant COVID problem theaters were, 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 were finally 
opened in the summer of 2021. Black Widow came out. Another uh, delayed film that, that was, again, supposed to come out a little earlier, as we already mentioned. It opened $80 million. 80.4 if we're, you know, 80.4 if we're, we're splitting hairs here. It was followed later that summer by Shang-Chi, a character much like Black Adam. I got to be honest, they're, they're, they're actually some of the best best comps. Because, of course, Black, Black Widow, you'd seen her in how many movies? The Avengers, the Iron Man films. I mean, she had really uh, so many uh, roles and had become an important character in, in the larger you know, Marvel scheme of 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 important heroes and characters that that we really had a fondness for. So Black Widow opens to eighty point four, and then Shang Chi, which again not well known, not well known to the general public, had a brand new you know actor portraying it. Not a giant movie star known for all these other different huge roles. I mean, Simu Lu could 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 not have been you know, further away from the public's recognition, he was literally discovered for this role, you know, coming from, from, you know, smaller roles, print ads, a model. I mean, boom, he's Shang-Chi. That movie opened to 75.4 million in, in the summer of 2021. Then later on, we get the Eternals, a, uh, oft criticized kind of ill, Middle, middling received Marvel film. The, the movie that I, I hear the most discourse about constantly is The Eternals. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, The Eternals, just what would have fixed that movie for me, for me personally, is less characters. The Eternals is a giant, expansive cast, even more expansive than The Avengers. And, and The Avengers, by the time we got those characters together, we already knew most of them. We had spent movies with Iron Man and Thor and Cap. And then... The Avengers got us, you know, with Clint Barton, Hawkeye, and we had already spent a couple movies with with the persona of the Hulk. We just had him portrayed by someone new, right? Eternals just said, "Here's these nine new characters that you need to meet." It was too much to stuff into one movie. And and look, I I really believe in the comic book vision of the Eternals as created by Jack Kirby, who gave you Captain America and Thor and Iron Man and the Avengers and X-Men and Fantastic Four. And I would literally pass out if I listed all of Jack's incredible character creations and accomplishments. But the Eternals uh, deserved a better focus. And, and I think that would have resulted in a, in a more satisfying journey into that world. But the Eternals opened to 71.3 million. Okay, so then from there, last... Halloween, Venom, the sequel to Venom opened to 90 million. The sequel to Venom, Sony's Venom 2 opened to 90 million. Then we got Spider-Man No Way Home, which tops the list. It is the number one grossing. This is domestic. This is domestic openings. I am not giving you worldwide grosses. I am just sticking in the US of A in the domestic grosses. This was tweeted by a gentleman named Gitesh Pandia. Uh, Pandia. He uh, runs a box office site that I frequent often. and he posted this after the the Black Adam numbers came out uh, on, on the Sunday opening weekend of Black Adam. Spider-Man No Way Home had a domestic opening. Again, these are opening weekends of $260 million. $260 million. The hype was real. And again, the thing that cracks me up is I, having been to that Spider-Man No Way Home premiere and I rushed home and I kind of did a, 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 a hype episode i didn't give away any details but i have a hype episode 
But that premiere, that premiere was the most packed, star-studded celebrity event I have been to in in five, six years. Uh, NBA stars, NFL stars, movie stars, TV stars, everybody was there to see this movie. And a bunch of COVID tests were reported the next day. The reason I'm telling you this isn't because there were celebrities there, but all these COVID tests, Dwight Howard, who was playing for the Lakers, who I took pictures with, he, he uh, reported had COVID the next day. It was the beginning of the COVID surge that dominated the, the, the holiday season last year. If you remember, I mean, it was like COVID, COVID hospitals, you know, are, are overpacked again. This is like peak COVID. The Christmas holidays became, you know, fraught. Masks were back on, you know, s- some malls closed down. It, 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 it was a giant emergency. And why am I telling you this? Because it did not stop movie theaters from being packed, selling out show after show after show after show. People showed up for No Way Home. They just showed up. They packed in the middle of the most dangerous pandemic. They showed up. They packed um, those seats and and, and $260 million for Spider-Man No Way Home. And it powered through from there, you know, week in, week out for the next couple of months. In the spring, we got the Batman. We got Robert Pattinson's The Batman. It opened to 80 I'm sorry, it opened to 134 million, 134 million for the new version, the new version of the Batman. Uh, in spring, Doctor Strange 2, 187.4 million. Thor, Love and Thunder, 144.2 million. So the top three are Spider Man, Doctor Strange, and Thor. Those are the top three. Uh, as I said, this tweet from Gitesh Pandia and his box office uh, website. The top three are Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and Thor. The lowest being 144 million. Rounding out that year is the Batman. It, it, or it, it, rounding out at number four is the Batman. And then we haven't had a superhero film since Love and Thunder, which is number three. But Black Adam would be fifth for this year. But in the post-pandemic era, it ranks ninth. At 67 million. 67 million for Black Adam. The Rock, can you smell what the rock is cooking can you smell what black adam was cooking and this was spun as the biggest opening of the rock's career because if you did it as superhero premiere it it doesn't resonate in the same way and so you can make an an, an argument to me that it was number 1 and that it did 67 million and i can look at this list that i don't know gitesh pandia and uh it's g i t e s t e s sorry g i t e s h p a n d y a his box office site is a site i have been reading for two decades great reporting gets into the numbers you know just really gets into the data if that's what you're into and so black adam at 67 million is the ninth biggest in this post-pandemic era. And you guys, it's going to go to number 10 because I believe Black Panther 2 could challenge between number one and two. I don't know that it'll do 260 million. I don't know that it'll do Spider-Man No Way Home, but I do believe Black Panther 2 will challenge Doctor Strange 2 in that 180 space. And the numbers are what the numbers are. But um, The Rock is a giant movie star that gets movies made based on his name alone. Uh, whether it's a Rampage, whether it's uh, San Andreas, the, the guy gets his uh, gets gets movies greenlit. 
He is a giant featured co-star in movies like, you know, Jungle Cruise. And, and obviously, he was, he was the first spinoff of the Fast and the Furious franchise with Hobbs and Shaw after really helping that franchise go to the next level. Once people, people forget that it was the fourth installment that brought back the original cast, Fast and Furious, that really jump-started and, 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 uh, and got that movie going. That opened in 2009, a few weeks before Wolverine Origins opened. And uh, it was, people were shocked that you know, Paul Walker and, and, uh, and Vin Diesel back together again just gave that the juice. It was action-packed. But then in five, when The Rock joins the franchise, it did blow up, and, and each installment just kept being bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it is the you know you've got Jason Statham, you've had Charlize Theron. I mean, the thing keeps that franchise just keeps adding huge, relevant players along the way. And uh, so, so The Rock can open movies on his own and has done so frequently. Again, Shang Chi. Uh, with Simu Liu, I think is probably the best comp because no one had heard of that. M- most people were not like, you know, thinking of some memory or experience that they had had with Shang-Chi. They were meeting and learning of that character for the first time in a post-endgame world, which meant that it was the, the, all of those movies, all of those movies, whether it was uh, Black Widow or, or Shang-Chi or The Eternals, they were meant to jumpstart this new phase, this new phase. I, I've covered it here on the podcast, how it was seeped also in the 1970s Marvel characters, Black Widow and Shang-Chi, uh, even 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 the characters in Black Widow, the Red Guardian, the, the, the Taskmaster. These are 70s, 80s the characters that came around either in, either in the late, late, like 1969, 1970, or in the mid 80s. And Shang-Chi certainly was uh, fit, fit that as well as a, as a 1972, 1973 creation in the Eternals, 1976. It was this dawn of this uh, the, kind of the bronze era of comics. And, and, and Feige had turned his attention to bringing those characters into the MCU. We were in a post-Endgame world. The Endgame followed had happened. There was new players, new pieces being assembled. And that's how when they would go on the, on the road, <clears throat> excuse me, and they would push the face four from d23 or san diego in 2019 that's how they were pushing all these new faces these new players so i think i think shang chi is the best comp for black adam but but the rock is un, undisputably that the bigger star one of the biggest stars is is the rock a bigger movie star in the public's eyes and in in, in the the studio boss's eyes the, the 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 different studios that pick stars is 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 the rock a bigger movie star than benedict cumberbatch the, the evidence would say yes uh, is the is the rock uh, considered a bigger more bankable movie star than chris helmsworth so far uh in in terms of movies made and budgets that he gets uh, you would say the rock yes but again black adam at 67 million dollars this would lead me to believe that especially that bottom of the list, Black Widow, Black Widow at 80 million, Shang-Chi at 75, Eternals at 71, and Black Adam at 67, that we are moving away from these big, giant uh, appetites. You know, the, the, the movies that got the biggest, the two biggest, are multiverse films, Marvel multiverse films that brought together all manner of twists and turns and splashy cameos guest appearances uh doctor strange 2 you know multiverse of madness i mean it's in the title multiverse you've got no way home which brought you toby Maguire and 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 tom holland and andrew garfield i mean that was a big deal and all the villains from the past sam raimi films i mean 
that was a mega event film, Doctor Strange mega event. Okay, so so when when you are talking about the top two movies in the post pandemic era, that they 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 worked, they worked hard to bring those audiences and put them in the seats. But those other grosses, I mean, you know, this this past year. Top Gun Maverick came out and has and, and made Tom Cruise gave him his first billion dollar franchise. It took him to all new heights. So the audiences are there. That the, we are we are not pandemic, uh, you know, uh, cautious at the box office at the t- at, right right now during this current time. If there's something we like, we show up, we see it. And so you can look and you go, Love and Thunder made 144 million dollars, and and the the the, the anti position on that is but it's it's hemsworth it's thor it's all the avengers movies it's all he's built up uh you know some goodwill fair enough let, 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 let's put that in place the rock is also a big movie star the black adam grosses suggest along with some of these other lighter grosses that we are on the other side of appetite other side of appetite for this so how do you increase the appetite when you've had every variation of the happy meal you know, maybe maybe your 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 favorite version of the Happy Meal was a certain combo, and we can compare that to Endgame. Because at the end of the day, come on, this is all fast food. We are showing up, we are consuming it, we are dazzled by the special effects, the CGI, the big star turns, the cameos, the you know who's going to appear in that last Endgame shot. Again, that that in and of itself had cameos. I mean, it, it harkened back to earlier movies on you know with with, with Falcon signaling, you know. On your left, on your left, you know, um, boom. Suddenly, all the heroes coming out of their different portals, guardians, the female, you know, heroes, the, the you know, Avengers, everybody assembles, hence Avengers, pause, assemble in that great moment. And, and, and three Spider-Mans all swinging down, landing on the, on the, on the construction site uh, at the, at the same time in that epic shot where all three Spider-Man land. Okay, it's a big deal. These are big, giant moments that stir our appetite. They're our favorite combos, happy meals, if you will. Well, we've seen every manner of CGI uh, possible. I mean, this last year, the, the, the latest installment of Jurassic World, it, it, it was possibly the least of the previous Jurassic Worlds, but still, come on, man, those dinosaurs, those creatures, they're epic. They're amazing. As I am recording this, it is a post-House of the Dragon world. They have wrapped that series, and we got a big, giant dragon showdown in the finale, and those dragons look freaking real. The CGI, the the the, the special effects, those artists uh, who rendered those dragons to make them look so real. We, we should still be impressed. If you aren't impressed by what you saw in that finale of House of Dragon, and we're going to get to some of the secret lies in stuff, in stuff like House of the Dragon. Part of the secret of how do we take the comic book movie to the next level? Well, I hearkened to a movie that I haven't touched on yet. I said I would get to it. But again, we had to go through those grosses. And really, really quickly, I'm just going to tell you, really quickly, let's look at the, what were the movies grossing in 2014? In 2014, I stumbled upon a best of list, okay? I stumbled upon a uh, a best of the, 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 the biggest openings. Okay, this is from Variety in 2014. At the time, the biggest openings of all time. 
You had 207 million for the Avengers. You had, you know, 174 million for Iron Man three you had dark knight rises with 161 million you had the dark knight with 158 million you had spider-man three which had a uh just a monster monster opening you had iron man two with its 128 million opening in 2010 man of steel henry cavill do you remember what man of steel opened to it opened 117 million dollars 117 million dollars in 2013 the original spider-man in 2002 had an 115 million dollar opening x-men the last stand i talked to you about this already x-men the last stand the third x-men movie in 2006 do we even remember 2006 of course we do it opened 103 million dollars Iron Man, the original Iron Man, opened to $99 million. Captain America Winter Soldier is number 11. As at the time of this list in 2014, in daily variety, it opened to $96 million. Spider Man 2 in 2004 opened to $88 million. Thor The Dark World. Thor The Dark World. Probably, um, I know there's been some revisionist. Uh, it's not as maybe compromised as we all thought when we watched it, but but it opened to $86 million. If it's your favorite Thor movie, it opened to almost, uh, let's see, $10 million more than Black Adam. Number 15 on this top 15 openings at the time of this list in 2014, number 15 was X-Men Origins Wolverine. It opened to eighty. Six million dollars. Okay, so that's the 2014 list that was compiling movies, you know, from the years before. Okay, I just read to you the post pandemic list and Black Widow, Shang Chi, Eternals, and especially Black Adam are all way beyond, way below, way below the, 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 uh, way below what we had come to expect. The numbers, the appetite, it would, it, you would say the appetite has been somewhat quelled. Well, I'm going to speak of a movie called Logan. You loved it. We loved it. Many people believe it is the single best Wolverine movie, possibly the best X-Men movie. It is certainly a brilliant cinematic experience. It is my favorite of the Wolverine movies. How could it not? It was the first one that had the green light to go R rating. I've, I've joked about this. If you've ever seen me at one of my panels at any of the comic conventions that I have had the panels at, I talk about how finally we, we, we could see blood coming out of the claws because prior to that, he had some super cleaning, um, you know, uh, uh, chemical that would obviously spray on the blades as he pulled them out. He was sticking all sorts of, he being Wolverine, sticking all sorts of soldiers and, and enemies with his claws in the previous X-Men films in X2 alone when those those soldiers attacked him and he was slicing and dicing and yet the claws would come out shiny and clean. And and, <laughs> and that is because, uh, you know, it was PG-13, no excessive bloodletting. Well, we finally got to see some of that bloodletting with those claws. That's what an R rating gets you. But more importantly, what an R rating gets you is more mature, more mature material, more mature approach. Uh, it, it, it is it is more adult themed. And so why does Logan hold the keys? When Logan came out in 2017, it was 17 years after we had met Hugh Jackman. We were ready to grow further with the character. When when Logan came out with its R rating, it was 17 years after we sat in those 
seats in the summer of 2000 when we enjoyed the portrayal, the first time ever portrayal of Wolverine and the first time portrayal of Wolverine by Hugh Jackman. We, we got to meet character and actor for the first time cinematically. So it was the natural progression, finally. And think about the other things. I mean, it was uncomfortable. Professor Xavier is, is hidden away. He's, you know, he's losing his mind. He, he, he's, he's, uh, he's in, in, a, in a real state of suffering. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's a different, very complex layer that they put for Patrick Stewart, who I'm sure was, was chomping at the bit to, to you know, portray this aging, uh, er- erratic version uh, mentally challenged and disabled version of Professor X. And, and Logan is caring for him, protecting him. And then Logan decides to take on this ward, this protect this girl. And we are with him as he is pursued by the Reavers all the way up until the end. And there is incredible, you know, violent outbursts of action. And that itself is one of the reasons that we love R-rated movies so much. But there is, again, the nuanced uh, performances the material itself, the characterizations, the drama, the trauma that, 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 that was created in Logan, that the R rating allowed it. Now, the answer is not to go to all the R ratings. No. But I am going to tell you that if it's not the R rating, because I know that's not possible, and I'm only here to provide solutions that are realistic. When I even said that this was going to be a topic on this show, people were like, well, it's directors. It's, 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 it's giving these directors reins. Well, that's not necessarily going to get you the results you want. You need to get the, the, everybody on board with the vision, and that's director, writer, producer, star, all on the same page, which is what Logan had. Hugh Jackman was not even certain he was going to come back and do another movie until he got the green to do to do Wolverine his way, which was Logan. And, you know, he then sat down with James Mangold, who has made amazing movies. If, if all you ever saw was Logan uh, by, by Mr. James Mangold, let me, let, me, let me assure you, you have been missing out on an incredible, an, an incredible uh, uh, resume. And look, he, he is going to wow us, I have no doubt, with the latest Indiana Jones. I told you when I came back from D23 a couple months back, and I shared with you the Indiana Jones footage that I saw and how much I was blown away and how I am certain that we are in for a very, very special treat. But when you look at James Mangold's uh, directing uh, premiere, look, Girl Interrupted, Copland, these are heavy duty. These are heavy duty in regards to the material that they take on, the character, the nuance. Uh, Walk the Line got Oscars all around. Everybody was nominated. This incredible portrayal of... uh, you know, of Mr. Johnny Cash, the dark, the darker portrayal of Johnny Cash, maybe, maybe darker than people were prepared for. Um, but it, it got Reese, it got Joaquin, their big notices. Then he followed it up with one of my favorite Westerns in modern time. It's a remake, but it is fantastic. James Mangold attracted the likes of Russell Crowe. He, he, he attracted the likes of Russell Crowe uh, along with Christian Bale. Christian Bale and Russell Crowe assembled to to make this epic Western version uh, uh, remake. An incredible movie. If you haven't seen 310 to Yuma, thank me later. It's great. It's fantastic. It, the last, it, the third act is earned. It is brilliant. 
It, it is great. Great action set pieces, great character. James Mangold is incredibly uh, accomplished post-Logan. One of my favorite movies of the last decade is Ford versus Ferrari. And, and in that movie, of course, you know, Christian Bale returns alongside uh, James Mangold. And th- they are joined by such stellar, epic, amazing talent as Matt Damon, as John Bernthal, uh, Josh Lucas. It is it, oh, that, that, that Ford versus Ferrari, which is really a retaking, a retelling of real events. Uh, is 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 going to blow you away if you try to if you if you try it out. But Logan uh, is is a is a is an amazing accomplishment in that it takes uh, you know this much more layered, complex rendition of this character that we love and and really puts him to the ringer with more mature storylines. So if you can't make it R, what do you do? Well, let's go back to Winter Soldier. That's a that's a complex, nuanced uh, film in and of itself that earns the entertainment that it gives us. It takes us on a thrilling, gripping ride. It 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 is got shades of Three Days of the Condor, uh, a, a amazing one of my top top three Robert Redford films of all time, and it is it is uh, which is why which is why they put Robert Redford in Winter Soldier because it is such an obvious nod in 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 in. Three Days of the Condor, the character of Condor is played by that's his that's his CIA name, Robert Redford is set up and 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 taken on the run and the entire government and and, the, and a secret government, a secret government within the government is charged with taking Robert Redford down and he has to um, use his mind and everything that he has at his his disposable his disposal just to stay alive and ahead of a pack of assassins and government agents that are trying to take him down. Does this sound familiar? This is the Winter Soldier. This is what they drew upon this incredible Sidney Pollock film starring uh, Robert Redford. And and it made for an action-packed entry in the MCU, which is, I, I, I got to be honest, it is, a, once again, is my favorite. But of the Fox films, certainly Logan is way up there as well and 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 the R rating again allowed for some vicious violence that the character of Wolverine has enjoyed in comic books for years but we hadn't seen that level until we got to Logan. So, here's the lesson. And I really believe the solution side of things comes down to to this aspect and this aspect alone. Your audience has matured whether you're making DC comics or whether you're making Marvel comics or you're you're like Rob Liefeld trying to get his comic books off the ground. You have to look at it to the point where who are you going to court here? Are you going to keep going back to the kids? Are you going to give them, are you going to give them Ewoks because you want to bet completely on kids who are going to go to the toy aisles and they're going to buy toys or are you going to because that's what George Lucas did in, in in making the Ewoks. He went younger. He said, I'm going to try and go for a younger audience. The kids who saw Star Wars when they were nine years old, hello, Rob Liefeld right here, hand raised, uh, are now coming to my movie on the verge of being 16 years old. And they're not going to have the same sense of awe and, and, and wow. And I mentioned it several times. Uh, you know, John Favreau on the round table for Mandalorian season one, he's my age. He said the same thing. By the time he went and saw Return of the Jedi, he felt like some of the beats were repetitive. It's another Death Star. I remember as a kid, the thing that disappointed me the most was, wait, it's another Death Star? And then the Ewoks, these these cuddly, supposedly vicious, you know, warrior teddy bears. But I just I just wasn't buying it. And and what happened is I went to James Cameron and Ridley Scott 
for my and Toby Hooper for my for my sustenance for my diets, and that set me on a diet then also of uh, you know not, not just Ridley Scott but 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 Tony Scott and and then the incredible John McTiernan Die Hard and and Predator films, and suddenly all I'm doing as a 19 year old you know. 18, 19, 20, 21 year old young man, which is which makes up so much of this audience of these superhero films. I want to see more nuanced, more layered, more R-rated material. Robocop by Paul Verhoeven is a nuanced, layered, complex rendition of a of a police officer who who comes upon this calamity. And would it still be good without some of the R-rated stuff? It would. You could strip every single one of these movies without the XF sex and violence, and you would still have a satisfying cinematic experience. Robocop, Predator, Die Hard, the entire premise of Die Hard can it can walk you up to that R-rated, more mature uh, level, which it does, but the entire premise of a every man completely uh, uh you know out of his element on his own trying to take down terrorists who have taken hostages in a high rise which which created an entire genre of 12 15 other you know man in a boat man on a train man in a plane i mean that the the the, the, the diehard genre created all sorts of spin-offs in and of itself but but on its own the premise a guy barefoot having to walk over glass who doesn't have his shoes, who when this thing exploded was half clothed. I mean, has his tank top, his his pants. He's got bare feet. When when they shoot the window and the glass goes everywhere, he gets cuts all over his feet. He's a damaged uh, uh, protagonist, barely able to keep up, but somehow has to outwit, you know, his his, his opponents, outwit the threat, the enemy. The, these premises are what the brilliance of these movies are built on. You don't have to go R to see how brilliant RoboCop is or Total Recall. Again, the domain of my youth, the the formative years, I'm paying for my own movies. Me and my buddies, we're going to all these 10 o'clock, 12, 12 o'clock showings. This is the audience that Marvel, that made Marvel. I've talked to you again so many times that, that Civil War was my son's 16th birthday party. And we bought 10 IMAX tickets and made sure, you know, that, that, that they had, they were well fed. They had their dinner and then their IMAX. My, my son said, I just want to make it all about Civil War. Me and my friends want to see Civil War. So opening night, boom, 10 tickets. Luke, all his basketball buddies, all his teammates, all lined up. We have that picture. It's so funny to watch. They're all in their Marvel Comics shirts. These are the kids who didn't grow up going to the liquor store, pulling the comic books off the spinner rack. They didn't grow up, you know, going to the grocery store and looking at the pre-packed comics and squeezing tightly to see what they could see, to see, you know, what the middle comic was. Because, yeah, I could see the the top and the back, you know, whichever there's two fronts to this pre-packaged, you know, comic book that would be hung on a rack, like a coat rack, and you'd go through them. Okay, I can see Superman, I can see Batman, but which one am I getting in the middle? Because the middle book changed depending on, you know, which package you bought. It, it was really a gamble to see, <clears throat> is that Green Lantern? Is that The Flash? Is that a Justice League issue? I want the ones with Justice League. These are not the kids that grew up in that environment. <clears throat> comic stores happened, okay? But they didn't even go to comic stores. My son would tell me again and again, Dad, I like, I, I like the Marvel Comics movies. I'm an MCU fan. I know, I know you're into comic books, but Dad, I'm into MCU. And I'm like, son, you are not alone. You know how many people are like you? I mean, obviously, 
the MCU, these people, these audiences, they're not going to see movies based on the comics because they have the comics in their collection. No, they are relying on the marketing, the word of mouth, the stories, the compelling characters to to to, to get them, you know, in the seats. And where we are at right now, when I look at a movie uh, like a Black Adam, it's obviously action packed. It's got big CGI effects. It's got throwdowns, punches. But for my for my money, Man of Steel had the best throwdowns and punches. Zack Snyder knows how to shoot action. Watch 300. Tell me I'm wrong. Watch 300, which literally remade the sword and sandals genre after nobody thought they could top Gladiator. Zack Snyder said, here, watch this. 300 electrified, had one of the biggest openings, changed the calendar. Movies did not open in March until 300. That is historically accurate. Big tentpole movies were not on the calendar for March until 300. And then forevermore, it was like summer got moved up to March. And all the movie critics and all of the people that cover the box office can tell you that exact same thing. I am not wrong because I was there and I was like, wow, we don't have to wait. Now we're going to get big movies in March now. I couldn't believe the the line I had to wait in to see 300 when 300 opened on that first day. I was like, something's happening here. The ads worked. The subject matter worked. Those people didn't have the 300 graphic novel on their desk, on their on their on their you know bookshelves. They just saw a compelling trailer footage. Again, not a star-studded affair. Gerard Butler was not a household name, but 300 rewrote the rules. Then Zack Snyder gets his hands on Superman and gives, in my opinion, the best battle the battles on screen ever, from the opening on Krypton with Russell Crowe jumping on his dragon, all the way through that big battle in Smallville. Where the, I mean, it's explosive. It's my favorite fight in the entire film. Even better to me than the battle that he, the eventual battle that he has with Zod. Look, go cry to your mama somewhere else that that there was that, that Superman committed a murder. I'm so beyond this. I don't have time for that. What I have time for is how amazing the action choreography, the superhero battles were in Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. That is the great uh, bellwether. Like in terms of action scenes on on superhero cinematic action scenes, Winter Soldier has great ones too. It, it's next level stunt, you know, stunt fighting and 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 guys like the 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 John Wick guys like David Leach and Sam Hargrave, they were there helping bring those incredible fisticuffs uh, to screen on Winter Soldier. So we've seen great action. I don't think the action. I don't think the answer is to make more action. Is to have more throwdowns. The answer, the solution, I'm telling you, is nuanced characters, evolving these characters, putting them in situations that are dire. I said I was going to mention House of Dragon. I'm going to. They took their time. They took a risk. They did time jumps. They did everything that people thought was a recipe for failure. They introduced us to characters we loved, and then when they said they were going to do the time jump, they're like, "But, but I won't accept those new older versions of the characters. This is in the same season, mind you, but the producers knew what they were doing. They knew you had to spend time with these characters. They had to take you to a younger time, build your um, interest in them before all of the action and the treachery would explode. I have not yelled at a screen the way I have yelled at a screen. The last four weeks, I yelled at the screen while watching House of Dragons. I am so emotional, so wrapped up, so tied up. What these movies need, and again, Peter Weller, his portrayal in RoboCop and just the opening moments of RoboCop, you you can buy into it. You can do it quickly. You can engage your audience with the com- compelling writing and with compelling uh, 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 performances. Look, look at Training Day. You know, Ethan Hawke meets Denzel Washington 
Within 15 minutes, we're hooked. We get it. We get exactly what both characters are about, and we are off on an incredible adventure. Comic book superhero movies need to go in on the nuance. Your audience has grown up. Luke Liefeld has aged up. He is no longer 16. He is going to be 22 this summer. His friends are 22. They want more mature material. They are the Star Wars Return of the Jedi audiences looking to pivot to something more that they can sink their teeth into. James Cameron did not make a second horror film in regard to the way Alien was presented. Ridley Scott made the perfect horror film. Jump scares scared the scared the life out of me. James Cameron said, "I'm going to make an action film. I'm going to introduce you to this marine. These Marines. I'm going to put them uncomfortably alongside our lead Ripley, as a, as amazingly portrayed by Sigourney Weaver, who then is going to transform into the most badass action heroine that we've ever seen." Again, take away some of the the guts and the blood and some of the cursing and aliens works as a PG-13 movie. It is our investment in these characters and getting to know them and the, and the stakes and the complex and maybe less CGI wizardry and and, and focus on, on, on gimmickry that's going to, you know, be like a, a candy bar to a kid on opening weekend who, who's then satisfied and then wants to go get more of the same and can do so on their video game screen. They can do though immerse. They can do that immersing themselves in Fortnite or whatever uh, uh, video game platform that they engage in. The movies need to grow. We need more mature. We're running out of these big bravado. Let's bring back the cast and nostalgic moments that that No Way Home and that uh, that Doctor Strange Two. You know, really were able to to utilize to maximum audience enjoyment. Now look, Deadpool 3 was announced and that 90-minute video of just Ryan and Hugh interacting, doing some stabby, funny stuff with each other on the couch, that's better than any comic book movie I saw this last couple of years, okay? Um, I I, I watched, like you did, that 90 seconds, that's two performers who know exactly what they're doing now in, 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 in... all honesty, all those two guys would have to do is show up and talk for maybe 90 minutes and we'd love it. And it's going to open to 200 and plus million dollars because it's Deadpool and Wolverine combining. So the hope is that, that that's not just the, 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 the standard criteria that is going to be met, that they are going to give us something that is rich and compelling and brilliant. And I'm going to tell you, Deadpool 2 had five, six screenplays. Did you know that Warren Ellis wrote one, that Drew Goddard, that, that, that Drew Pierce, all of it, they kept, they, they knew they needed to go one better than, than, than Deadpool. And all I know is from Deadpool 2 and, 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 and being, uh, you know, the executives made sure that I was involved in that movie from the word go. And, and being involved with all those different screenplays and all those different interactions. And as they crafted towards a movie that was incredibly enjoyable and that you cannot deny audiences loved. It had the R rating. It had the mature label. It could go a, a few more dangerous places. But Deadpool was always R. Where, where Logan you know, needed to go was to another place, another level of maturity. And the, today's comic book film whether it is marvel or dc needs to embrace we want to take the mature audiences out there we uh, look i i am 55 years old and i saw top gun in the theaters 10 times 
Okay, I kept buying tickets. I, I bought the PDX. I bought the 40X. I kept buying $25, $30 tickets in Southern California. That's the cost of this. I would take my wife. I would convince her, you got to go see Tom and the boys one more time. So I've got the payroll to go see a movie I love multiple times and give to it multiple times. I am not on an allowance. I don't need to book extra hours at my job. So, so you're... Older audience can buy tickets and they can see a movie again and again and again. And you don't get to the grosses like Dark Knight and and the Avengers without everybody rebuying those tickets again and again and again and going for a more mature subject matter. And I would even argue so much that Endgame was a more complex story, that we enjoyed it because it in, it involved a time travel heist. It turned our heroes into you know, uh, uh, kind of Ocean's Eleven, a place that we didn't expect that the, the superhero throwdown would happen at the end in the big finale. But on the way there, the journey was, can we pull this off? Can we go back in time? Can we risk, you know, upsetting the time cycle? The, the stakes of Endgame were brilliant. It's why we loved it. It plays at almost three hours, but we went again and again and again and again. The reason Logan was the best received, most popular of the X-Men and Wolverine outings is because it went to a more mature place. It, it, it advanced the character. It put the character in more mature situations. And again, don't just focus, focus on him and X-23, the little girl. Focus on the fact that Patrick Stewart, is his, his portrayal of Xavier as, as, as a man who is mentally ill and come undone is another like compelling performance that, that that really sucked us in combo movies you can do more we will go along with that ride with you we will go along on that ride we will go nuanced if you take your time and you build it and 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 you you give us characters situations and consequences that are more than just a bunch of superhero fights we need more than just a bunch of cgi superhero fights we need more than just a cgi laden uh, uh third act with a bunch of special effects that are meant to wow and shock us that literally just overwhelm our senses we we, we need story and we need character and we and, and and please take the license to take us to a more mature place once again take the blood take the cursing out all of those r-rated movies immediately click down to pg-13 mel gibson danny glover first lethal weapon you had a very disturbed cop and a very kind of by the book cop and we went on that adventure of how they came to respect and and have love for each other as they battled bad guys that's it that's it. Now, some of the violence in the, and it was leveled up, gave it an R rating, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a couple of nude scenes. We don't need that. What I'm talking about the superheroes is the relationships. What you can do is, in two hours is extremely impressive, as I have already marked with the Terminator films, with Total Recall, with Robocop, with Die Hard, with, with you know, uh, Predator. I mean, you guys... My youth, we jumped. Right now, what's happening to your Marvel audience? If they came on board when they were eight, they are hungry for more. Your DC audience, Chris Nolan danced. He danced with mature themes. Those Dark Knight movies, I couldn't believe Dark Knight got a PG-13 rating. Some of the stuff the Joker does, I mean, bashing that guy's head, his, his, his eye into the pencil, I jumped my seat. Part of the reason we love that portrayal of the Joker so much, and then Joaquin's very mature portrayal of the Joker, which actually did get the R rating, right? We dug that because it was dangerous. 
It was a dangerous place. We will go to dangerous places. We will follow mature portrayals of characters with you. But you've got to give us the material. The reason there were multiple scripts on Deadpool 2 is because they had to get it right. They had to get it right. They wanted to get it right. It was, ne- it was, it was necessary. It was absolutely necessary for that movie to, to, to nail it. It had to stick the landing because the expectations were so high. To get Hugh Jackman back, to get Hugh Jackman back for Logan, he wanted a more mature, he wanted that R rating. And, and that, that more mature element is what made the movie so satisfying. Winter Soldier was a thriller. You put a couple of blood splatters in Winter Soldier, you've got an R rated movie. Otherwise, without it, you've got what we got. Well, it's a PG-13 movie, which is <clears throat> maybe one of the lowest in terms of lightning being summoned from the sky, portals opening up, giant tidal waves, you know, giant lightning storms, whatever giant, and I keep using the word giant because it's giant special effects. Winter Soldier is on the low end of those, but it is no less amazingly spectacular. Yes, you have giant helicarriers. There, there it is again, heli- giant, the word giant, helicarriers smashing into buildings and, and careening, you know, their trajectory towards the city below. That's not a dragon, a dinosaur, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a giant battle on an asteroid in the middle of space with portals opening up and cosmic gauntlets and 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 big blasts of power. That's a that's a different vehicle to ride. But we have to go to a place that we can nuance our characters a little more because the audience is ready. The audience is ready to go there with you. The simplicity. Um, making the child films where it's just a bunch of guys hitting each other and throwing each other into the sky and the same old punches and the same old action choreography, that's what's played out. That is most certainly played out. Even the best of the stunt guys. Look, the best action film I've ever seen, non-comic superhero, is The Raid. Without The Raid, you don't get John Wick, you don't get any of this stuff. The Raid in, in inspired an entire generation of of action filmmakers like, we can do that? The raid literally is nonstop action, and some of the best fisticuffs, uh, judo, jujitsu, karate, all manner of martial arts. Uh, you know, it's a cops and robbers movie, and it is wickedly entertaining and wickedly violent and and action packed. That that's your crescendo. I haven't seen that level in a comic book. John Wick tries to get there. Some of these stunt driven movies, they try and get there. But the raid, I think the people who made John Wick will even tell you the raid is the king. The raid sits on top of the mountain. That's been done. Action films, we can keep doing those. But we, what we want is the nuanced character. We want the layered, complex emotions. This generation, your eight-year-old has turned into a 22, a 23, a 24-year-old. They're not going to be uh, titillated and they're not going to be, you know, wowed by the same old stuff that they were when they were when they were even 14 or 15. They need more. We need to give it to them. We need to give them more complex characters with more emotional stakes that take us on that journey. That that's why that car chase and that motorcycle chase will matter so much. In Black Panther, we had the trauma between you know, the the the, the two lead actors, you know, between Chadwick and between Michael B. Jordan, and it was like, whoa! Th- th- there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 kind of a, a prodigal son that's come back to claim what he perceives as his, and the king who wants to hold the throne. There's your drama, and you can say, Lightfield, that's straight from Lion King. Yep, work there, 
Worked there. Worked in both places. We can keep doing this. We have to increase the conflict. What are the stakes? The stakes matter. The stakes matter to the audience. They always have. They always will. And that is what needs to be done to push to push us past. We we have done the multiversity. We're Deadpool three is going to have two of the biggest, most popular leads ever. It is a pure kind of Fox filled announcement a fox filled feature i mean you, you, your biggest movie people tell me oh deadpool 3 deadpool 3 they tell me this is the one this is the one we're so excited for it well it's 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 basically marvel producing their version of a fox film because those guys made all the big fox movies and now they're going to stand together together in the way that we want to see them not the fractured version of deadpool that we got so so again but but here's hoping that it works super hard to earn the biggest cheers, the most applause, and 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 maybe one of the greatest comic book superhero films ever, because the audience expects it now. The audience wants more. Those grosses are telling a story. The appetite has been, you know, has been filled. We we are satiated. We know we can go with one click right now. When I stop this podcast, I can go sit and click and watch Winter Soldier. It's it's one room away, one remote. I can do the same with Endgame. I can do the same with Man of Steel on HBO Max. Those are my favorites. What are yours? You can access them almost immediately. Just click, click, click. So now if we're going to get out and we're going to go see something, well, we've been wowed by the three different eras of Spider-Man. We've been wowed by who's coming out of the portals and what realm, what dimension do we stumble into with all the you know different ca- casting mix-ups in Doctor Strange. But is that a diet that can go on forever? It's not. And it it shouldn't and it can't. And we've got to embrace better character, more mature themes, and higher stakes because your audience has grown up and they're going to pivot like I did from Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, to Robocop, Total Recall, Lethal Weapon, Predator. I mean, Terminator. These movies are waiting. They're waiting. The comic book versions of that level of maturity is waiting and i hope we get there i hope we get there together i cannot wait to see what the next evolution is going to look like i know everyone including myself is working to make that happen jake gyllenhaal read the prophet script he loved it mark guggenheim's prophet screenplay got us sam hargrave the director and jake gyllenhaal it did exactly what a great first draft is supposed to do a great first screenplay is supposed to do but then it was like well how do we push this further how do we go higher jake had his ideas sam had his ideas and so a pact was formed and i've already mentioned you know 300 but but a pact w- was formulated and the next thing you know we've got kurt johnstad from 300 jumping on and and, and is he doing a, a complete rewrite no he's making the movie uh into a even more nuanced than it already was because the mark guggenheim screenplay is great i know that which what i am speaking of we are trying to make a movie that does not rest on its laurels, that does not just dine out on some superhero action battle scenes with lightning and thunder and and, <clears throat> and some CGI storms and whirlwind. We, we need to give you a character because John Prophet is no different than Shang-Chi and Black Adam. The audience hasn't heard of him. He doesn't have four decades of cartoons like Spider-Man and Superman and Batman that have been on the airwaves, that have comic books that have been, you know, taken from from spinner racks from the 60s and the 70s these are characters that you have to know so so why are you going to spend time with them what is the conflict why are you going to come back and see it again why are you going to involve yourself in this character's future we have to give you those reasons we have to keep upping the stakes again mark guggenheim delivered such an epic draft it got us a director and a star 
they both signed on. But now, as we enhance it, Kirk Johnstead has come on to 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 take the nuances. And, and in doing so, because trust me, I've been there. He's, well, what about this scene? And did, and did anyone ever think of doing this? And it's like, whoa, I created Prophet. I, I, I've lived with this character forever. I never thought of that as an option, but it's right there in front of us. And sometimes, again, that's when you're trying to build a better mousetrap. That's what's necessary. So I am living this world. And and again, these these the the Shang Chi, the Eternals, the Black Widows, the seventies, the seventies, the sixties, grosses, the appetites have been quelled. We need to get people excited about about showing up and seeing these again. Now, Wakanda Forever is going to open huge. Let me let me wrap this up with saying Wakanda Forever. You have got an emotionally charged, much the same way that that there are many opinions. I believe they are valid. That that because it was Heath Ledger's last performance that that Joker I've talked to you, my mom said, I said, what are you doing this weekend? To my mom in 2008, she goes, I'm going to see Dark Knight tonight. I'm going to see Heath Ledger's last performance. She'd never seen a Batman film in her life, ever. My mom, Patty Liefeld, rest in peace. You're a beautiful lady. You'd never been to a theater to see a comic book film, but you were going to see Heath Ledger's last performance as the Joker. Wakanda forever. If you don't think that it has built in a lot of our own shared communal trauma over Chadwick Boseman's premature passing and our our agony, and we're going to go share the the, the characters who are going to now share with us how they feel in their world, where he was the biggest name, you know, where where Chadwick became a, a mega giant icon in front of all of us and so we're going to go in that shared community wakanda forever is going to blow the doors off but again it is it is a it is a continue it is a continuation of a already giant existing franchise that blew the doors off and now people are going to go and they're going to cry and they're going to feel and we're going to it's going to be, going to be cathartic it operates on its own level outside of just comic books now is it going to get a, give us namor which is why i am so amped because as i said namor is one of my favorite comic book superheroes ever he is in the very first comic book that i ever bought uh, uh fantastic four i traded for it with my barber fantastic four 147 lives in my heart forever prince namor the submariner i loved him i loved him people didn't know who he was they still don't know who he was now they're all going to know who he is in just a matter of weeks because he is part of this giant wakanda movie okay wakanda forever is going to blow the doors off but what comes next and what i hope comes next is is a is is a doubling down on less magic less lightning less magic portals and more characters stakes consequences that draw us in and 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 you know when they when they put that firm clasp around you when you get when you get on the roller coaster to 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 you know lock you in are we going to lock in audiences for another decade like the one that we just finished and take this to the next level we can do it it can be done it's going to be a blast watching how it comes about but that's my solution i didn't just come here to whine i came here to bring solutions to the table and it's not just better directors it's it's from this page. It starts on the page. It starts on the story, the screenplay, and how are you going to get people there? How are you going to take them along with you? And 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 so so this is what I offer today as we build a better comic book cinematic experience. Wishing everybody the best of luck as uh, as as we look to punch through and and do better in the future and make better films because we just can't stop at like well we peaked well we peaked and and this is what we're this is what we're. Uh, you know what we're what we're required to do. Look, just like the menu at a restaurant, they got to keep giving you something fresh to keep you coming back. Keep that experience special. That is what is on, uh, you know, on deck for these comic book movies. And I hope they get there. I hope character, 
and nuance and consequence uh, are, are, are chief, n- not just the first appearance of a character. That, that can't do it anymore. It's got to be more than that. Looking forward to it. That's where we need to go. So my Rob's recommendation uh, part of the show, Rob's recommendations, we went long, we went long today. It's going to return in the next episode. I will have some kick-ass cool comic that, that maybe you never heard of that I am anxious to, to, to connect with you and to recommend with you, but that is going to come in, in, in the next episode. We will return to Rob's recommendations. In the meantime, as you guys know, at the end of every episode, I read when time is permitting, I read your uh, reviews that you post for me about this podcast. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for spreading uh, word of mouth, for getting the word out, for, for sharing this with your friends, for playing it in your store, for playing it uh, in, in your car. Thanks to, for just listening, period. Thank you for being such an amazing audience. Uh, I, I am so humbled by the fact that you guys have uh, have continued to seek this show out and, and the audience continues to advance. And these reviews that you live for, leave for us, they help uh, enhance our, our, our profile. It helps us stand out on the platform. And, and when you leave them, I read them as I'm going to write now at the end of this show. This was left by a gentleman who signed it Tomiker, T-O-M-I-K-E-R, T-O-M-I-K-E-R. He gave us five stars. Thank you. Thank you, Tomiker. Or may I call you Tom? It says, still the best at what he does. This says, hey, Rob, this podcast continues to be super informative and overtly interesting each and every episode. I have been a listener since your very first episode two years and some odd months ago. I had a loss in my family recently, and I think creativity helps with grief. Listening to your podcast and honing in on my writing helped a lot with what what I was going through. I just wanted to say thank you for all the really great stories and all the great advice that you give to creatives. It truly does help. Keep up the great work, Rob. Tom, first of all, thank you for that very generous review that very generous opinion about the show that you shared i also had a loss in the family as you know my mom passed away in may it was unexpected it was quick uh it kind of shaped my entire summer to the point where i literally told my family i just need to take a break and and uh i i just i had to unwind and unplug but but what brought me all the way back was creativity so i'm i'm there with you brother and i'm so happy that this podcast could walk alongside you during that time thank you tom this means the world to me thank you for each and every review that all of you leave for this show and again sharing it with your friends when i go to new york comic con when i go to san diego comic con this show is the first thing that you guys want to talk to me about it always takes me um aback it's it's still so new to me that i'm not used to it but i thank you for it i thank you so much for sharing um your passion for the show and just all my gratitude. Thank you. You guys, you know that you can reach me on social media. I am on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. That's it. Rob Liefeld, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I have a blue check at the end of my name, Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Check me out. I read your DMs, your messages, your comments. I love hanging out with you there. On Twitter, on Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld, the full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I have a blue check at the end of that name too, so that, so you know it's real. In both instances, it's real. It's really me. I am talking to you. We are sharing comments, mentions, talking back and forth, talking comics, everything that we love, uh, nostalgia, old television, movies. I love it. You guys continue to hang out with me there, talk with me there. Um, if you haven't found me, find me there. There is an app called Whatnot. I am on Whatnot pretty much twice a week. Looks like Wednesdays and Saturdays is where I have mounted myself regularly. Whatnot is an app that they sell. Uh, it's a selling app. It's, it's like a, a new 
a 21st venture, uh, 21st century re-envisioning of eBay. You can buy apparel, sports apparel. You can buy just regular clothes. You can buy kicks, shoes, Adidas, Nike. You can get uh, trading cards, trading card games, um, role-playing games, uh, collectible cards, comic books, graphic novels. All of it is available for you on the WhatNot app. You need to check out the WhatNot app. Follow me at Rob Liefeld. Seek me out on that platform. I am Rob Liefeld on the WhatNot app, and you can uh, watch me and follow me on my shows on Wednesdays and Saturdays. I share. I'm in the comic book or the toy category. I have Funko Pops. I have toys. I have comic books. I have trade paperbacks. I sketch. Sometimes I do remarks, all sorts of crazy stuff. People say that that um, live feed, when I'm on live streaming, it's a live streaming selling app where you share your collectibles and stuff. They say that it is like a continuation of uh, of this podcast. I think it's it's slightly um, less filtered. I'm trying to be more filtered. It's slightly less filtered. Whatever. Follow me. Check me out. Some people say they just watch to watch me blather. And and uh, if that's entertaining to you, you, you can just you can just do that. What not? Find me at Rob Liefeld. I have a uh, a Facebook group. It's called Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group is on Facebook. You will know that you are in the right group because either myself, Rob Liefeld, or Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you through into the membership of the group. Uh, we would love to see you there. We talk about anything that I have done or created or participated in my career. I've drawn Spider-Man, Captain America, The Avengers, Fantastic Four. So it goes beyond Deadpool, X-Force, Cable, all the others, okay? You can jam with us there. We are the membership is loading up. We, you, we have drawing contests. Show share your art, share your ideas, share your signed comics, whatever you want. We just all hang out there. Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group is over on Facebook. I will look for you there again. Myself or Terry Sala will click you through. That's how you know you found the right Rob Liefeld group on Facebook. You guys, I am always concerned about your mental, your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual well being. If you need to take a break, take a break. I completely condone taking breaks, kicking back, chilling, get a comic book, get a novel, watch a cool movie, a streaming something and enjoy it. Drink it up. Let, let your mind relax. Like when I watch house of dragon, except I'm not relaxed. I'm yelling at the TV. Is that really what I'm talking about? Maybe, uh, look, get away, take a break. Uh, do it with a bag of Doritos. Do it with filet mignon. Do it at your favorite Italian restaurant. I'm always recommending my fast food recommendations, but I do go. <laughs> Imagine if I didn't take my wife to a nice restaurant, how short-lived my relationship would be. You guys, just unplug bottom line. Go through this week's comics. I grab my comics. I sit on my recliner or I sit on my, uh, on, on my, on my beanbag and I just revisit characters I love. Sometimes they're trade paperbacks of stuff that I loved in the 70s, the 80s, even 90s. You guys, take care of your spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical self by chilling out and filling it with some inspiration from art. That's what I'm talking about here. Get some art, mix it with some fun food. Maybe it's fast food. Maybe it's gourmet. That's up to you. But, uh, but you got to decompress. And by decompressing, fill yourself with inspiration. You guys, thanks for rooting for me. I am always rooting for you. Swing back around the cul-de-sac. I'm going to be here most definitely, most assuredly, absolutely waiting for you so that we can talk again real soon. 